1: Point five UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elves, and kicking things off for us tonight, the title track from Yusuf Day's forthcoming record, Black Classical Music. That'll be it on Brownswood in the fall. The single came out yesterday. Uh, Playing that, one, because it's just a straight-up hot track, but two, because Sunday is World Jazz Day, and I wanted to... uh, Acknowledge that day and uh, encourage you to tune in to Fascinating Rhythm. I'm sure Ray's got something cooked up for World Jazz Day. I got a busy show for you tonight. I spoke to members of Winona Forever. Uh, The band will be in town next Tuesday night. Real love putting on a show at the Goodwill. Uh, And then I also have an interview that I recorded with John Weens, who's the artistic director of Polychoro, uh, choral group doing New School at the Crescent Arts Center on May 8th. We'll get into that a little later. Uh, But first, just a really breezy track that I got this week from California band Summer Salt. It's called Carry On from their forthcoming album Campanita, which will be out on Wax Bodega in May. Uh, Get you in the poppy mood before we turn things over to Winona Forever, who are also purveyors of pop. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
0: Carry on, I'm days away.
1: feel from time to time all right well montreal band winona forever coming to the goodwill may second ben and rowan from the band joining me on the line welcome to the show
2: thank you we're actually from vancouver these days but oh you're good. back
1: in vancouver okay yeah, yeah. so you really you relocated to montreal for a while but then the the siren call of the west coast pulled you we back
2: the winter yeah
1: oh yeah so, experience-wise, uh, I mean, because I know that you guys, you know, had a studio in your in your space in Montreal. Is that where Acrobat came from, or did you move back to Vancouver prior to working on this new record?
2: Um, it was, yeah, it was basically all recorded in our basement in Montreal. Um, we did, like, a few overdubs, I think, when we got mm-hmm. back here, but it's kind of all from having that studio there. Having all that free time with the pandemic, yeah. <laughs> too, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, that, you you guys were very briefly on tour in March twenty twenty and then had, had to come home from the States and then hunkered down. But you were already all like living together, right? Like that was by choice, that wasn't out of necessity out of COVID.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We've lived together for um for a few years now and we 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 do still here in Vancouver. Um but yeah, we had a pretty disappointing uh touring experience that time as many people also did um but there was kind of a silver lining getting to have a bunch of time to work on a record so now we get to uh bring that record on the road all the way to winnipeg
1: yeah exciting stuff um i want to talk about kind of the the creation of this record and kind of what was kind of circulating or percolating amongst you guys i I read an interview from about three or four years ago that said you guys were into benny sings oh yeah. yeah are you still into him
2: Great new record from him. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say, pretty recent, and I mean, just more more great stuff. Like, I just I think that guy's pretty unassailable.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He's he's an inspiration.
1: Was that like? Did you find him because you were into that stuff, or did you kind of get into that stuff and discover him?
2: Uh, Rowan put it on the van uh, like a couple of years before. Uh,
1: yeah, I think even before
2: that. I think, uh, yeah, just like. I don't know. We all like that kind of music, so I think that. How did you find him though? I honestly don't remember. I mean, we were listening to a bunch of sort of um, '70s pop or acrobat influence—Wings, um, McCartney, um, Todd Rundgren, Carol, Carol King—but I think Benny Sings probably also listens to that stuff. So maybe the algorithm popped, popped him our way. But just a, a good year for pop uh, pop songwriting.
1: Yeah, the other like influences I get from you guys like Boz Skaggs or Bobby Caldwell, yeah. those kind of guys.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, RIP Bobby Caldwell.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I, w- I was going to ask if you, you know, if that uh that was an influence cuz certainly I I can hear shades of that like that 70s like soulful pop. Yeah, totally. So, in terms of working on the material for Acrobat, like with living together, like are you guys constantly writing and creating stuff or do you like specifically say, hey, let's set aside time to work on something? Like how do how do like things kind of foment?
2: Um, we, we usually sort of have to set aside time to do things. I mean, for that we were all around a lot more, but like now we all kind of work jobs that have like different schedules. So it's definitely like something where we have to be like, okay, we're gonna do this at this time. We do a morning writing session and um we've been writing with uh Ruby who just walked in the room. Um uh, our ba- our bass player, permanent bass player now. Um, so for our, our upcoming records, there's more kind of collaborative writing, and then bring that to Alex, our drummer, and and work it out from there. But we've just been trying to write a lot, um, and and just sort of see what happens. Um, but some some songs, I think, still come from writing alone. So it kind of depends. But I think living together, you don't necessarily just work on stuff all the time. It's still it's still better to set some. Some um, intentional time for that aside.
1: So that writing alone, like so usually kind of like the kernel of a song and then bring it to the rest of the band to flesh out, or do you kind of come with like here's here's how I see it. Everyone figure out your parts.
2: Yeah, yeah. It depends. I think that we've definitely kind of made a rule where you just bring sort of your part and the lyrics, the melody, whatever. Because on Acrobat there was times where people would bring a song that was more demoed and more finished. Um, which can kind of just be tricky to hear the band on that, so yeah, we try to just bring kind of a a bit of something that can then take shape when the when the band uh kicks in, which is kind of kind of more fun
1: and trust your bandmates to to not have things set in stone gives it yeah, me.
2: yeah, exactly like I got my part and let's see how I'll see how you react and let's see what kind of baseline comes from it and oh, the drums are in half time now or whatever
1: does that like, does that take some compromise as a, a like creator? Like, do you, do you find like you that you just intuitively do that, or do you have to kind of like set aside your own ego and preciousness about songs to like let the rest of the band do something like that?
2: I think. I mean, I think it's a muscle to work, but I think the if you can all agree that you're trying to make the song good, I mean, that's the. I think that's the. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing you can challenge your bandmates without sounding like an, uh, an asshole is just like hey the song isn't really like working as well when you do when that's happening and see if they agree and then if you can agree on that you'll probably just find a common ground but i think yeah compromise probably but hopefully you're making music with people where they'll their ideas will ultimately be as good if not better um but it takes yeah it takes a certain kind of writing where you don't get too married to everything so i think that that does Has been a bit of a learning experience, but we've been a band since uh, high school, so gone through a few um, few iterations of uh, how we how we do it.
1: Yeah, you guys, it's it's almost a decade now, right? (laughs) Twenty (laughs)
2: fourteen. We're like a legacy act that hasn't uh, (laughs) hasn't popped off yet.
1: So the like, is it just like learning intuitively as you each kind of age and grow in these things that like this didn't work, this works. Keep doing this, reject this, or discard this, that kind of?
2: Yeah, I think definitely. That's, yeah. I think, I think we also like, we go for different sounds per album. So naturally, some will have really bombastic drum parts and some will be pretty mellow. And then, different, at different times, people will feel like they're really in their elements. But, um, I think with with Acrobat, we, it was a little bit tricky because we were kind of in a, what do you call it? on a microcosm, but echo chamber. Echo chamber sure. That's great. Um, where we couldn't really try stuff live. And then every song felt like it needed to make the album or we just try to make more than we need these days so that we have lots of ideas. And then sometimes the ones we're like, well, that's kind of a weird song for us becomes one that we can really like uh, play well or, or um, fit into our sound. So Sometimes it's nice to kind of be surprised and give something a chance.
1: In the past, would you have tested material live generally before recording it?
2: Yeah, pretty much always. Yeah, <laughs> we were testing a bit of Acrobat Live, a couple tracks, um, and how and uh, maybe now, maybe. now, yeah, a couple tracks off the album. But then we had, but then that tour was cut short. So yeah, it's definitely a big part of our process usually kind of really feel good about our parts but um we we still do that now and we'll, we'll play a couple new things um on the road and i think that since we end up touring material we usually like it to to work uh in that context mm-hmm. cuz we also have been tracking live with a, a newer record than this one um oh, hello cat so yeah i think that that's part of the identity for us a bit but acrobat was a bit more of a studio baby album
1: did that Change things for you, like, as a like thinking about these songs and being like, Oh, we need to then consider how they will be eventually going on tour versus like knowing these songs from touring,
2: right? Yeah, it's definitely been a bit different for us to sort of like figure out how to like make them feel good for us when we play them live. Um, but I think we've got there now. Yeah, it, it would potentially be preferable to go the other way around. Um but that's, I mean, that's kind of a challenge that the pandemic presented everybody. And I think I'm a big believer of, of like putting out a project that you feel proud about, um, even if it's not everything that you're, everything that you're about at the time. I mean, th- we started this one in 2020, so, you know, it's been a minute, but we're releasing it on Acrophase and there's a vinyl release and we're touring it. So it feels like we're doing justice, the hours we put in.
1: Yeah. hmm do you guys like, is there an overarching theme to Acrobat or like, like, like a linkage amongst the songs? Like, do you feel that there's something kind of apart from, you know, the fact that these were all worked on during a certain period? Hmm.
2: I don't know if there's like, like
1: themes that are overarching, really.
2: I've, I've had, like, I've had like, uh, I feel like, you know, that meme of, uh, the guy
1: with the, with, uh, <laughs>
2: with all the strings pointing to different. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've had a few theories, but um, I don't know. They 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 have a they have a mutual feeling for us. I think yeah. I'm not sure if there's as much of a story arc. Um, I feel like we usually like to pick a bit of a theme per album, but this one might not be able to be summed up in just a couple words. Um, but yeah, I think I think that there's um, hopefully a. a uh, common ground, putting on the album and listening to it yeah. front to back is probably something there. Probably you, something you look there.
1: For yeah, yeah. So you guys have a, I mean, Winnipeg's early on in this uh, string of dates. Heading into a, a tour like this after not doing it for a while, like, do you have to kind of like steal yourself for being on the road like this again? Like, what's what's kind of the preparation like uh, for for the live tour?
2: Um, Very physical. Yeah, we've been training yeah. quite a bit, running around uh, the neighborhood, we we hit a bunch of rehearsals the week of week before we leave, so we're we're gonna go in in about an hour and run the set a couple times. Um, uh, it's yeah, it's it's a particularly long one this time, so I feel like it, it's more than likely we're probably gonna have a couple nights where locally getting a bit tired or potentially physically or mentally breaking yeah. a bit. But <laughs> no, I think it's gonna be good. Um, we, we, yeah, we, we started this way, making sure we played Chicago and a couple of cities we had to cancel last time because, uh, uh, fortunately our drummer had COVID for a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's nice to start in Canada and then dip down to the state. But we usually try to come in, having already played a couple of fake shows in our rehearsal space, kind of yeah pretend we're already on tour.
1: Yeah, I saw on Instagram that this is, like, your third attempt to go to scubas. Is that right? I know,
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad they're... They're having a stack, but um, really seems like it could happen this time. You know, yeah. Um, they're they've been really lovely, and um, we really like to play Chicago. <laughs> Love a lot of bands from Chicago, so I think that third time's the charm. Yeah, as they say
1: exactly. There's that. There is a saying. So uh, you know, the, a three. Saying? Three is the magic number. The other, the exactly. other saying about three. Um, for for like getting all that like miles on the road like what do you guys do in the car like do you decide like driver chooses the music or like how do you kind of figure out what you guys are doing
2: um we do like a lot of podcasts and um, like things like that I think to stay entertained I think driver is in charge that's what I would say if the driver wants something really really belligerent that's okay because they are yeah. their their eyes are on the road. Um, yeah, we've had the same '94 uh, Safari van for a number of years, and um, just just got her back from the shop. Um, but pretty good sound system in there, so we, we try to keep it keep it interesting. Um, sometimes there's lots to talk about, but sometimes, yeah, we we've we've kind of got um, got a good way of giving each other space on the road sometimes too.
1: Mm-hmm. Important stuff. And so the van's Important. all tuned up uh yep. coming to Winnipeg may 2nd before i oh, let yeah. you go guys uh since there's two of you uh, normally i ask the artist to pick a track off the record I'll, I'll give you each a choice off of the record a song that we yeah, can play for listeners and if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote i'd love to hear that
2: i'd go i'd go penpal um that's kind of one of the, the faster guitar ones um kind of about making friendships when you're touring and then you gotta hit the next city right away um but you know you kind of feel like you could have had a have a, had a longer friendship there, um, and that one's really fun to play live. We've been been playing that one for the past couple of tours, and uh, make sure maybe start to end with that one. Okay, nice. Um, I think I'd take butterflies. I just kind of like it. It's a pretty song. Sounds good. <laughs> Great. That's
1: <laughs> a, a pretty song that sounds good. That's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. What's the best place to keep tabs on you guys? Uh, IG or
2: yeah, Instagram's kind of what we've been doing. Um, we got, we got the links to the song kick where it's got all the tour dates and stuff. Uh, got a nice poster that Ruby made that gives you all the information. But for anyone in Winnipeg, uh, May 2nd at the Goodwill, let's know, Tinge, Real Love Presents.
1: Indeed. A good uh, time. Pictures of the merch I saw on, on there. So, uh, yes, yeah. People can cop the physical. Uh, ben and Rowan, thanks very much for taking some time. Uh, good luck thanks, with Michael. the practices and, and safe travels. Absolutely. Thanks for having us.
3: Something I can spell, my skills right for whatever could happen with mine it wouldn't need a second time
1: Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, a couple selections from Acrobat, Winona Forever's new album. They are at the Goodwill on Tuesday, May 2nd. And uh, strongly encourage you to check that show out. Lev Snow and Tinge also on the bill. Coming up May 8th, the Crescent Arts Center, uh Coro presenting New School, a uh, new collection of choral works. And uh, coming on the show to talk about it, John Wiens, the artistic director of Polykoro. That's coming up in just a minute, uh, taped interview. Before that, though, a uh, new solo piano that I heard from Hungarian Tomas Végi. Uh, he's been a part of several classical groups in the past, but uh, released an album called Minimalism. I'm going to play the track Byte here on 101.5 UMFM. <music> New school, the Polycoro presentation on May eighth at Crescent Arts Center. Uh, Artistic director John Weens on the line to talk about what Polycoro has cooked up for us for New School. Welcome to the show.
4: Thanks so much. It's great to be here.
1: So uh, it's funny because I was reading the the description of kind of what's on on the agenda for this, and it, it feels kind of like tongue in cheek to call it New School when you're revisiting past things you guys liked.
4: Yeah, but you know the thing about that is that you know we're we're offering a bunch of music that we kind of well i guess that we presented in manitoba that hadn't been presented before which is my take on what new is my take on new isn't what happened yesterday it's what didn't happen before it got there gotcha and that's what that's what polycor has consistently done through its history is present music that is uh, maybe maybe a little off the beaten path or just not performed for one reason or another.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's back the train up a little bit and maybe you can tell folks a little bit who don't know what Polycoro is all about and how it got formed.
4: Uh, Polychoro has been around for about nine years now. Uh, we started because a bunch of singers in the city wanted to explore a repertoire and they weren't getting the chance to do it. Uh, it had a lot to do with, um, yeah, just there being a, too many limits on the kind of repertoire that was available. And that's something that I kind of specialize in. So a group of the singers and I got together and started mapping out a concert and that turned into two concerts. And then that turned into an invite to the WNMF and a little tour to Brandon, et cetera, et cetera. And the next thing you know, you know, Polychor was up and running. And that's kind of, that's, that's how it started. In our first seasons, we did things, that were perhaps a little more, I wouldn't call it middle of the road, but I would definitely call it, um, um, you know, kind of stuff that that, that a lot of high-caliber choirs will want to try, like the Frank Martin Mass or music by Penderecki and Goretsky, and the rheinberger Mass for Eight Voices and things like that. And over time, we've branched out farther and farther and now we're doing music from Haiti and music from the Philippines. And we're doing uh uh music music early music from like the renaissance and the beginning of the baroque era that doesn't get performed here and things like that we're we're uh, we're a little bit of everything for everyone but we kind of tend to be in two places one is new music and one is very old music so
1: Did this grow out of like a conversation amongst yourself and some choristers that like, hey, we're not getting to do these things. Let's let's do them ourselves. Or like what was there like an an inciting incident?
4: I wouldn't say there was an incident. I think that uh, one, one day my brother and I were having a taking a walk in Morden together, which is where we're from. And we just thought, well, why don't we do something together? And we just did one thing. And that one thing was the Bach Motets. And then... And we, we did it in a much different way, uh, I think, from what Kenzona would have done. Um, at that time, I'm not sure how many singers were in Kenzona, but my guess is it was between 20 and 20, 24, and we just did it with eight singers. That was, a, that was quite a challenge and viewed as quite a challenge at the time in, in Manitoba. And then a few years later, my brother said to me, I'd like to do another another one, but I, I'd prefer not to plan this one. So, and luckily, we found Zori Gervais, and we... Yeah. And and we did another one. And at the beginning we thought this was just going to be a project choir. You know, we'd get together once a year, maybe, maybe twice a year, but probably not. (laughs) And and then, yeah. And, and, and that's kind of what happened. I think the singers keep coming because they like the repertoire.
1: So then in terms of, in terms of people keep coming, like enlisting choristers for this, like what's, what's the process? Like do people kind of like come to you and say, hey, I like what you're doing. Can I be part of it?
4: No, we um, I mean, we well, I mean, the way it works for us is that we have um, a group of singers who we identify as singers who we want to work with whenever they're available. And then if they're not available, then we we look for other people and over time. You know that that group that we want to work with every time evolves because you know some people have other interests and want to try the things and, do, and uh, you know and find other other projects that interest them and it's always kind of fluid. But I think that's part of the excitement of something like Polycor was showing up and asking yourself, "I wonder who's on stage today?" Like for instance, for this this upcoming concert, we've got we've got four singers who are going to be singing with us, four out of 12, who have never sung with Polychore before. And that's uh, that's a really, that's an exciting prospect, you know. And, um, and I'm finding that as the years go by and Polychore becomes more and more of a well-known commodity in Winnipeg, um, it's not really that necessary to do auditions. It's not that necessary to recruit. What's really more necessary is to just... Have a have a good network and trust the people who, when they recommend someone, and that that happens more and more. Um, so while every single singer on the stage might be new, I got some pretty strong recommendations from some singers who I really trust, and so that that often is the is the key.
1: So then, if if, if you're getting recommendations, I, I imagine like folding in one third new singers isn't necessarily that hard because the chances are they already know the people that are the other two thirds
4: well they know the people and but polychoro does have its own unique culture like that's something like an internal culture dead of winter i work for dead of winter as well they have a very uh, specific internal culture and i think that's true of any professional choir and it's also true of polychoro and And we have certain things that we look for in our singers that aren't necessarily what the other groups look for. And that's that's kind of how how polychoro continues to run is is a really clear understanding of that internal culture and how we all fit in it.
1: So in terms of the figuring out what the what's in the repertoire, like are you constantly listening to stuff or reading sheet music or like how are you kind of discovering stuff?
4: Um, I build programs, uh, uh, on a model. I have a model that I like to use to build a program. And then what I do is I try to find subject material that is current and, um, relevant to the moment in time, and then finding a repertoire that speaks to that moment. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so much new music out there. I could easily just listen to music that is new to me all day, every day. Mm -hmm. There would be, I would never run out of, uh, of, uh, of new musical ideas to explore based on other composers opinions. What I find more and more though, is that I'm looking for a particular style of uh, accessibility slash new idea. Um, you know, it does no good to present something to the public if it's, you know, way beyond what the public can absorb or is looking for or has an appetite for. You know, you won't <laughs> you won't sell any tickets. Um, it also does no good to do a concert of music that the singers don't want to sing. Mm. So I find more and more that my you know, my barometer really does fluctuate based on the tastes of the choristers and the tastes of the audience. And after nine years, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on that. So I always try to find a way to make the story that we're trying to tell about our moment in time, um, something that is um, absorbable. I remember one one day I was uh, having coffee with a, a really well-known Winnipeg um, um, musical supporter and personality, and he said to me, uh, "What you're doing at Polychoro is just so great. There's no question, and everyone really respects it. But you know, but you have to understand, you have to speak to everybody." you can't just keep speaking to yourself. You know? it, has to be, it has to be to more, to more people. You know, you have to find a way to get your message across to a wider audience. And that's what I've spent a lot of time since that conversation uh, striving to do. That really, that really affected me because at that moment, you know, what we were doing was was beautiful, but not necessarily too accessible. And I think that, uh, I think we've successfully changed that part of that part of our history.
1: Do you ever bump up against being like fully invested in something and then knowing it's not going to work for an audience or for the choristers?
4: Very, very rarely. I, if I, if I really think about that, I, I don't think that's happened more than once or twice in the last six years. And it, and it was like one particular piece. You know, it was just it just was one piece that wasn't going to come off for some reason or that the audience wasn't going to get or that we weren't performing in a convincing enough manner. And that's part of the that's part of the risk taking of public presentation. You just have to live with that sometimes.
1: I guess then I mean, the risk that you take in that, like it's at least only plays out in that moment, right? Like you're not falling flat on your face over and over because this is not something that's, you know, necessarily on record or
4: oh no no way i i mean early on at polychoro in the first three seasons that we did polychoro i would routinely cut things from programs in the middle of rehearsal like if something wasn't working and we gave it two or three tries and we knew it and i knew it wasn't going to work my job at that moment was to was to say well this concert just got three minutes shorter or five minutes shorter or (laughs) however long that piece was and just say, for whatever reason, this one particular one just won't work for us. And that's okay. It's easy to, you know, we internalize failure these days in a way that is deeply unhealthy. Um, In fact, I've often wondered about creating a concert around the subject of failure because, uh, you know, the... um, (sighs) 120 years ago, 140 years ago, long before our current era, failure was something you experienced, but it wasn't a part of you. And now I feel like we have, for some reason, gone away from that. Instead, we look at failure as like something that we are. And that's just a really a devious and unhealthy thing to do to oneself. It doesn't help. And it, in the end, all it does is it drags you down farther and farther. You know, we um so I don't I don't look at I don't look at failure as a bad thing. I look at failure as something we tried and didn't succeed at. I, I can point to something in every single concert that I've ever been to, ever, <laughs> and say that was you know, that moment there wasn't successful. That moment there was a failure, but that does not mean that I didn't love the concert. That doesn't mean that I wasn't there for it and enjoyed you know every moment of it. I probably also enjoyed the failure. In fact, um, you know, if you really know the score of something, like the choristers and I will often do at the end of a rehearsal process, like really know it intimately. In almost every con, in almost everything we do, there's a very small failure here or there, and that makes the experience so human and so wonderful. And oftentimes we we end up you know, instead of examining that failure and thinking, Oh, we're no good. We didn't do that. Right. Instead, we look at that failure. And sometimes on stage, if the failure is obvious enough to everyone, we smile, laugh a little bit and that gets us looser and it makes us happy. You know, gives us more permission to be ourselves on stage. I feel like that's, that's much more valuable than an offering, you know, (laughs) what we think might be a perfect concert. You know what I, once I was in a, I was in a recording studio in Winnipeg. Uh, Someone had had recorded Polychor, I can't remember who anymore. Anyway, I had been listening to it in my headphones I wasn't really very satisfied with the quality of what we were doing. And he was like, what are you talking about? Come over and listen to it in my speakers, and I did. And you know, the choir sounded just absolutely fabulous. Really, really great. I just, you know, it. yeah. Yeah, you, you, you can't internalize failure. You can't weigh it, let it weigh you down. It, right. All all that does is destroys the moment.
1: Well, so in terms of deciding on the the favorites for this, because you talked about you know you can find something to love in everything. How did you determine like which ones were going to be the ones for for new school?
4: I mean that that uh, that was pretty subjective. Um, I tried to choose something from almost every concert that we've done to this point. I felt like it was important for us to see a continuum as an ensemble because, you know, that's something you you can only rarely do is just see a continuum. And, And I feel like in that continuum is a story in itself. And these pieces of music have meanings that attached to us over our history because Well, I can remember very clearly the first time that we performed X work and Y work. You know, it wouldn't be the story of Polychoro if there was no Bach on the program. That, you know, that wouldn't be. Uh, it, It wouldn't be us. And then, you know, tried to find representative material across the board of all these years of performing. And there was a lot of repertoire to sift through because polychoro does not repeat itself. Generally as a rule, I think, I think in nine years of concertizing, we've repeated less than 90 minutes of repertoire. And that's kind of the standard length for a concert. That's, all, that's a lot of new music mm-hmm. over the years. And, and so what I was looking for was I was looking to try and tell a story of where we've been, And how that's going to inform our future, and how it informs our present. Because we got a premiere on the program too by Amy Brandon. Amy is someone who is relatively new to us. We only started working with her about three years ago, but she has written consistently fantastic things for us. And we've got a brand new premiere coming. I'm really excited about it. It's a she is just a a really incredible composer, and and is getting. Getting closer and closer, I think, to having a, a really strong voice in uh, the the Winnipeg uh, and I guess in the Canadian choral scene. Yeah,
1: so that'll be part of New School on May eighth at the Crescent Arts Center. Uh, tickets are at Eventbrite, and for more information, go to Polycoro.ca. Now, John, I usually ask the artists that I interview at the end to you know pick a track from from the most recent record. There's obviously <laughs> this is something that like lives on stage. Is there like a version of one of the pieces or, or just something that you've enjoyed lately that we can play?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, There's this uh, composer, this uh, Filipino composer, Nilo Alcala. N-I-L-O is his first name, Nilo and Alcala, A-L-C-A-L-A. He's a really, really strong composer. He lives in the States, and I look at his repertoire list all the time. I, there's just something about this repertoire and the way that he writes music that I think is really spectacular. And we have a number of his pieces in our repertoire, and we're going to be performing one of them at New School. It's called Papanok, Alakitan, which means the messenger bird. And it's a... It's a song about someone who is trying to convince this bird, this messenger bird, to tell their beloved that they are not far away, that they're close by, and that they're going to, th- I think the idea is that they're going to arrive soon. And it's, it's, a, it's just such a fantastic sound world. Lots and lots of tight harmonies lots and lots of recognizable but fun but challenging but like it just hits all the sweet spots that we're looking for in a polychoral piece and it's super fun to listen to so uh yeah if you can find that on youtube i'd love to hear that
1: well we'll give that one a listen then uh john thanks very much for taking some time and and best of luck with the event on may 8th
4: hey thanks very much take care of yourself and see you soon
1: back here on Thank God It's Free Range. You just heard a new single from Ivana Santilli, or rather the B-side. The single's called Out of Sight, Out of Mind, but that is the second track, Air of Love, which uh, really caught my attention. Also catching my attention, new album from Toronto's Cat Duma called Real Life. We heard Land and Sea and Sky. Before that, Najuwan with the Crests of June from the new album The Great Sea, and we started the set off with Fenny Lily's Red Deer Day, one of my favorite tracks from her latest Big Picture out on Dead Oceans. Going to pick up the pace a little bit as we hand things over to After 8 Radio. Everything But The Girl, one of my longtime favorite bands. It's been a long time since they released something. 1999, Temperamental was the last record before this new one that came out last week called Fuse, and uh, boy, what a banger. Great stuff. I'm going to play you the track Caution to the Wind. Then we've got a new one from... Uh, True Thoughts, Always Reliable Label, some broken beat from a group called Running Loving Something, and we got a little bit of time. We're going to squeeze a couple more tracks in before we hand things over to Kai. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
5: Don't hesitate to call.